Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to the after party for episodes 21 and 22. How's everybody doing? Great. Hello. I'm 90% GameStop now. <laughs> oh, no. Is that bad? <laughs> stay uh, stay till the end of the episode if you don't know what everyone's talking about and you want an extended D&D metaphor to explain the stock market. Now you have to listen to our ads. <gasps> Ha-ha. <laughs> I'm also uh, 90% GameStop, but I'm 10% notes I did for the two episodes that just came out. <laughs> well, good, because I have a bunch of questions from our lovely audience from Instagram, Twitter, email, and Discord to ask. So, hey, let's start with our first section. Let's talk about the last two eps. And first question being, Julia, are you finally coming down off of all your stress? No, I'm still stressed out <laughs> all the time. All the time, forever. And hey, let's pan back a little bit. Uh, PCs, did we know what would happen? Fucking no. Nope. No, not even no. a little bit. Not even a little bit. It was so stressful and wonderful. And at the end, we ended our session at the cliffhanger of, you know, the end of episode 21. And we were all just like, fuck. <laughs> I do appreciate, I think my favorite part was even though there were both cliffhangers in that one, we got to redo you going through the window at the end of that episode and then we redid it in the second one. It's like truly if it was like a comic book and then you did another comic book and they're like, no, 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 we have to do another, we have to do this again. We have to fall through the window once more to put you where you're going to be. Exactly. I wasn't sure if you were like just making a yoke at the beginning of the episode, Eric, but it was too funny to not include, so I had to keep it. (laughs) I was making a joke. Like you, everyone knows I'm the worst at starting episodes. Episodes. So I'm just like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do the same thing that we did at the end, which is a little bit different. Um, that was also, I think that was me mainlining Teen Titans. And like on the off chance that it would have like one episode and then the next episode and a part one and a part two. Like it, it, it's, it feels like it's supposed to be the same because it's like they, they drew it and wrote it like that. So I want to do something like that, which yeah. I, I just thought was silly. It was very smart. I liked it. Speaking of your episode prep, uh, I heard a rumor this is the most you prepared for a fight ever, including the finale of Campaign 1. So, Eric, tell us a little bit about how you prep for this. Oh, correct. Uh, Here's the fun thing that we do now, because we were so far ahead, is that I need to tell you guys all the things I want to talk about in the after party. So I remember (laughs) me saying this, like, immediately after I finished. I'm like, oh, I prepped too much. You said this at the beginning of the episode, sir. (laughs) I said it it a lot of times. I said it many times. You're very (laughs) proud, and you should be. It was a great fight and a great episode. Thank you. I want to start with this because I just talked to Brandon about this before. Initiative frustrates me. This is something just as podcasters is like initiative is like the exact opposite of what we do in audio in that like we take things that might be slow and we make it faster and we make it feel very smooth. But initiative, like since one round is six, six seconds, I personally, I'm like, oh, I wish we could move faster, but inherently we're not moving faster. It's like we're in slow-mo intentionally so that we can have all these different moves. And like, I know that we do it better than nearly everyone else um, because Brandon edits it so seamlessly and takes out all of our dumb questions and does bits and boobs and uh sound design did you say bits and boobs yeah i was yeah oh no that's how good it is (laughs) Um, but (laughs) but like it's still i only run initiative when we need it and like this needed it because there was a lot happening but also like maybe this is just my own fault i'm just like oh initiative but i guess it was really tension filled and it's it is so complicated to me and what I see as someone who consumes so much D&D media and as a DM and want to entertain you and the audience that it's like you need to make initiative so complicated that it is entertaining and stressful and has tension. But that requires me to run 10 NPCs at the same time. And like that is just like 
That's the real tension that I have here. Not that it's not good, but like I feel a type of way while running it. And I don't know if that matters or or whatever that means while we do it. It also has the benefit of it gives each of us something different to do in each yeah. fight rather than just being like, oh, there's one bad guy. Okay, I guess we're all fighting this one bad guy and we're just going to take turns hitting this dude. But I, I liked that we each had like a different mission in this fight. It felt like really tangible and also kind of highlighted the fact that Val was separate from Preserver and Kilanova. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I also think, like, I wonder if because you have so much stuff to do in your head, Eric, if it feels so much faster to you while you're playing and then you listen to it and you're like, oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, 5,000%. It is the combination of me running the game and then also wanting to say funny things at the same time. Yeah. And I feel myself saying it out loud when I'm switching in between. Like, I can hear myself looking at my notes and then hearing, <laughs> like, when one of you says something and I'm like, Oh, wonderful. Nice. I love it. And then I'm looking back at my notes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, I yes, that is 100% what it is. That's a great observation because for me listening, I'm like, I don't, you know, in the moment, it can sometimes feel if initiative is not that dynamic that you're just kind of waiting for your turn. Or if everybody like a Dynamax Poke battle is like there's four people just hitting the same baddie and like not a lot is changing. It mm. can feel like you're just waiting for your turn to happen. But during these initial, like I'm listening to you guys, like what you do changes what I will do, what the NPCs mm. do changes what I'm going to do. So it really is like very in the moment. And very tension filled the experience of playing and i think that is more similar to the experience of listening than eric you running it and being like okay like i am i am going through all my steps and you know i have to i have to move everybody and then i have to move them again yes i think that's just how i feel and i'm so happy that you you heard all of that yeah and also when we do big fights like this there are objectives that are almost never kill this person because right. like especially in a modern world and especially in superhero stuff like Making someone go down to zero HP is never the goal. And I thought this was really fun because seeing how everything moved. And you all did really interesting stuff that I was not anticipating. Like, um, I think that this was, Brandon, the stuff that you did was really, like, supporting. It was, Brandon ran support. Like, he did AoE shit and pulled focus. And Aggie tricking Aunt Min, I 5,000% didn't see coming. And then Val's, <laughs> Val's incredible rolling and dealing with the YouTubers were also, like, was something, again, I didn't think would happen. And even under the influence of the painting um, was just very interesting. Eric, you know what I didn't see coming? Uh, the fucking painting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> didn't see that one coming. Oh, and this is a very good follow-up question. How did initiative, like, influence how things went? Like, did the order of initiative change the way you thought the fight was going to go? This is from Bern Kernder on Insta. Sure. Uh, here's the thing. Milo, if you did not go first, you would have gotten gangland style destroyed. <laughs> What you said at the end of 21 when we were done, you were like, well, I hope they don't kill me like mobsters. And I'm like, <laughs> ah, they should kill you like mobsters. <laughs> Literally, I have. So what I did, my initiative, I, like I did before, I rolled ahead of time to give everybody like intention, things they will do in the first round. And then I can adapt as it goes. So the first thing that I wrote down was. For the YouTubers, if they go first before shit happens, they'll be live streaming everything, and the mobsters in the People's River will not like that. So that came into play. After that, I had Ant Min. Ant Min was going to make everyone look at the painting. The People's River, they were going to just bail like they did. If any of the mobsters, uh, Ant Min, Salamone, or the crowd of mobsters went before Milo, they were going to get an assassinate, like a like a rogue-style assassinate on you and get advantage because you were grappled. And they would get, like, I think I have the actual amount written down, but, like, 60-10, straight up. Oh, my God. 
just on you. With your reduced HP, that would have been uh, very bad. Yeah, yeah. you probably would have died. It would have been neat, though, to be a literal ghost in this campaign <laughs> from then forward. <laughs> oh, here we go. Yeah, I have 60-10 lightning damage if they're persuaded to take out Milo. And that would have been either the mobsters or the People's River. If they were persuaded by Aunt Min, they would have done something different instead of just bailing. They would have done it to you. So either the People's River or the mobsters would have taken Milo out. But uh, Brandon rolled nat 20, and I guess uh, there goes all of my plans. You know what? Usually <laughs> I am pro, hey, roll low in the initiative, because then you can see what's going to happen. But in that case, that was the best nat 20 you probably could have rolled, Brandon. Yeah, my first reaction was like, Brandon, you you wasted a roll like this on initiative? You did but say that in the episode. <laughs> it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I even said that too. I, I was like, Brandon, you're wasting it on this. Come on. I, I heard myself go. <laughs> 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 like I heard myself go, well, good roll, Brandon. Look, I, guys, I get I get six natural 20s a year and I don't get to play when they happen. One every so. two months. <laughs> By the way, we've all been rolling particularly well since we started using new dice. Um, and I, I just wonder if anybody attending the live show tomorrow uh, will will hear anything about that. So join the partypod.com slash live. Who can say? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Eric Wizzle GK on Insta would like to know how did you work the mechanics of a swarm of mobsters? You love you love a swarm of people. I do mm. love a swarm. <laughs> I do love a swarm. Uh, what I did, I took something from Cobalt Press. They have incredible, make incredible third party monster stuff and really try to do interesting things with game mechanics. So I heard uh, on not another D&D podcast, they used something called a bar brawl, where it was literally like, it's a place for you to put like an ambient fight somewhere else that maybe your characters will get pulled into. But I thought it was interesting. It's like a swarm of people. Mm. And that was something I really wanted to use. So the bar brawl, they're basically, it's a swarm of people and they get like two uh, multi-attacks. So I use that for the mobsters. Here's the thing, and this is what happened when... Um, with the uh, thing at the end where all the hands pulled all the mobsters in, they're vulnerable to bludgeoning damage. That's why you said that. Okay. Yeah, that's why they got cleared out so quickly. I like to imagine that they were worried about going to Christian hell, so which is how I reworked it. <laughs> but um, that's why you you just cleared it out so quickly. I thought it was also really interesting using the Knight of Mirrors because the Knight of Mirrors is an adapted version of a fighter cavalier. And like... Running a motorcycle through a crowd is a very interesting prospect. So that's why they jumped out of the way and then they separated and the Night of Mirrors had advantage on running over Salamone because Salamone was not prepared uh, for seeing uh, the Night of Mirrors run through. So that was like, that, that was some really interesting uh, tension of me running against myself. But yeah, I think that there's always a capacity to reskin things. Like a bar brawl is kind of like for a classic like fantasy tavern, and you can just use it. It's a swarm of people. Like just use it. And they also have some really interesting stuff. Like we didn't get a chance to do it, but if uh, they have a move called Liquid Courage, where as a bonus action, the brawl can drink alcohol and get more HP. And I was going to use that. They were going to grab some spaghetti and eat it, but I didn't get a chance to use it because uh, they got they got confused. That is the most fictional thing I've ever heard in any D&D campaign. Everyone knows that you lose HP <laughs> and you drink alcohol. Right. You got to make a con save and then you and then you get drunk and then you get to use your drunk voice. <laughs> <laughs> The question surgeon Michelle Spurgeon has some great questions about Ant Min. Does Ant Min have powers too? Oh yeah, I, I assume so. Based the on uh, the end, 
Yeah. Oh, she very she very <laughs> much does. Ant Man is actually the Diviner, which is a monster, which is I think just in the regular monster manual, but you can just find it. She's very powerful, but something that we realize is like Ant Man doesn't love getting her hands dirty, so she was using a lot of uh, divination powers, which is what she did to Salamone, which is that she can change a role to something better. So that's why she gave Salamone that sixteen, and that's why she had the talking to people in their heads power but like you know she has all the regular wizard spells she just chose not to do it <laughs> and she instead used uh, divine stuff instead does min know that the lt3 are working with dr mayor moro or does she think they are freelance like the upcountry keepers players do we have any any uh theories on this before eric answers i think that ant min might know because i think that eric you either implied or said explicitly at some point that val was being followed and that's how they knew that Val was Volcani and that mm-hmm. they were associated with Preserver and Kiladova. So it's very possible that they are like, hey, why is uh, this person continually going to the mayor's house all the time? Right. I have no idea. I don't know. I like to think no. That's my hope. <laughs> but she also can control people with her mind. Yeah. So... Who can well, say? <laughs> control? Not really. She going to see see what you're Suggest. thinking. That's you. You confused Ant Min with Kilanova. <laughs> I think that even absent of any powers, Ant Min can can sense when there is a organization or a powerful woman behind a group, <laughs> um, and I feel like that is why I think she probably knows. It's that girl boss energy <laughs> that Ant Man's mm. got <laughs> in in all of the good and bad ways. And finally, question Surgeon Michelle Spurgeon. Dr. Spurgeon says, the mushrooms glow the same purple that had been on Tuna and now Val. Is it like kryptonite? Mm, that's interesting. Who oh, can say? that's interesting. We get into it a little bit, but I think that, um, yeah, we let's talk about all the times that you've encountered it. I'm not going to say anything, but I'm just going to remind you of it, is that uh, Tuna got turned purple and you all got turned purple in that first episode. And now Val got purple again when the like the potato gun went off and both of those were the potato gun and also the mushrooms have like this weird aura around it as well here's the other thing i kept rolling really bad natural ones <laughs> and you guys haven't really interacted with the, what the potato gun does like you weren't in the fray in the first episode and then there was a natural one and it exploded it it hasn't happened so i can only say i can only say so much that's storytelling for you. Like, there are things that you guys don't explore and what the dice doesn't see. Like, we still don't know what's going on with that hockey guy. Like, what's, Sh- what's Sharon Red- Redwine doing? Like, it just, you know, it the, that the dice doesn't doesn't do what it does. You I mean, know? we know what Sharon's it's doing. It's Shannon. Jeez. Shannon. Shannon. Uh, I Shannon, can see, people. We haven't uh, interacted. Like I, a sea shanty. As, as inter- Irish as possible. <laughs> we have not interacted with her since, like, episode five. No, so, don't. like, I don't even remember her name. I have it written down. That's the only reason why I know. <laughs> My assumption is that the cloud, the purple cloud dust is, like, I don't know how it functions, but it just, like, it's the spores, the mushroom spores somehow seek out powered individuals and highlight them. I don't know if it does anything to us in particular, like the dust itself, mm. but uh, I don't want to be, you know, highlighted. Sure. No, for sure. 
Yeah, I think that was also really interesting of how he put together the YouTubers. So, like, Bones Body, also shout out to whose the namesake is Mark Body, B-O-T-T-I. I know you all thought I was saying body. I did it not know that. Botti, B-O-T-T-I. I didn't know that until we posted this episode and I read the description. I was like, huh. Shout out Mark Body, uh, who's also uh, <laughs> a contributor to the multi-crew um, and is on the plaque in our in our office. Aww. So, yeah, Bones was the one who had active actions, but I actually put a lot of reactions on Jack Lantern and Brett, um, which w- was why like the the that happened kind of out of initiative, um, because they were prepared to do things. What I said to Julia as she was trying to do stuff was that Jack Lantern is like the bodyguard, so like you're gonna have to go through him to get to Bones, and that's what I meant was like he's going to get bonuses or whatever as a reaction, a reactionary sort of character. Luckily, Val is stronger than Bones' body. Yeah, luckily you roll incredibly well. <laughs> I just get, like, real big bonuses on my strength checks, too, so that really helps. And I roll with advantage when I'm raging, so it's easy to roll easy. Julia is so strong. So strong. Ooh, Julia with good dice. What's that like? (laughs) (laughs) On to, by the way, Eric gathers the questions for the after party because, uh, or we we both do, like, I do the email and look at Discord. Eric looks at social because he runs social. And uh, Eric likes to throw in fun little subject headers, little little section headers for me. So this one's called art, comma, I like it. Uh, Parentheses, Danny (laughs) and the painting. One of my favorite jokes for the episode was uh, Milo getting affected by the painting. And Milo's just like, yeah, I love art. Art. Fucking rocks. Art is good. (laughs) Okay, Al Blizzard Wizard would like to know from me, did I know the painting was a Danny O'Hare? Did Eric give you some warning? And uh, then a few more questions about kind of like what Aggie thinks of the painting. So um, I'm happy to just kind of like go through where my head's at right now. Do it up. Uh, No, I did not know that this was going to happen. I was shocked, appalled, and excited. Um, I just heard the word painting and put, you know, two and two together, having just introduced Danny um, and kind of alluding, alluding to the fact of his power. Eric and I talked in advance, I think it was said on the last after party, about Danny having some kind of power. It's related to his work, like some kind of influence um, over people or uh, helping them feel something extra when they look at his painting. Um, so, no, I was super surprised. I just kind of uh, assumed. And uh, it was it was thrilling. And I, I felt shame, like my own sibling had done something wrong. And then uh, excitement. <laughs> to explore this in the space. Um, Jamie asks if Danny knows or cares if when his paintings fall into the wrong hands, are we going to have a family super fight? Do the critics and public actually like his work or is he influencing them? And I don't know. I um, I think they're actually good. And then people see him in person and are just like, there's something special about it, man. And just like adds to the mystique in the way that people are like, I, I saw the water lilies and I cried. And it's just like, it's, it's different than seeing it on a screen, which I think is true of all art. And yeah, I I sure hope that Danny doesn't know it fell into the wrong hands. I sure hope, as uh, Amanda Mass asked on Insta, that it wasn't commissioned and that he did not like actively take a job from the mob. But I think that's Aggie's worst fear. And so this is definitely something that she's going to have to um, follow through on and kind of track down. Hashtag who can say. Can I just say, Eric, how fucking brilliant that that idea for that power Danny's power is it's so it's so good thank you <laughs> honestly there's we haven't even uncovered half of it so there's like more to more to f- figure out um i was very surprised he, the moment with what happened on tape is what happened was that Amanda and I had talked about it and then uh the night of mirrors said hey this painting has powers and then Amanda 
just said, oh, is that no hair? And I said, yes. And then we had to do it. Like, that's <laughs> what happened during play, which was uh, incredible. Brandon, Ev, I remember you were like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> How dare you play tape of me back to me? Hold on, let me hit play. <laughs> what? <laughs> Um, but no, that is, that's, I want to, like, the magic of storytelling is that sometimes it happens. So, like, <laughs> if for all you DMs out there, there's nothing wrong with prepping with your players earlier because then it comes out in ways later. So it's like you're not going to lose anything by the surprise. Um, so I'm really happy that we were able to do that. And KK Bug, Mel118, Dr. Spurgeon, and Jay's Yao, Jazz Yao on Insta, um, are all kind of asking a little bit about how the painting interacts with the mob. Mm -hmm. So, you know, is Aunt Min under its influence? Could Val potentially become under the influence of the painting uh, and become the big bad? Uh, you know, is Danny in part of or support of the People's River, maybe? And I'll say, like, we don't know. I think because it's a fairly recent acquisition from the mob, I don't think it has, it had an effect on its existing power structure. But that's just my assumption. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, Val didn't pass their wisdom check when they saw the painting. And yeah, that's I, true. Eric was very clear. I don't know how clear it ended up being in the episode, but Eric was very clear with me, at least, that when Val failed that wisdom check, uh, that it was not mind control. So the painting isn't yes. mind control. And I kind of had to approach the rest of that episode and the fight with the idea of, okay, how influenced is Val by this painting and how is that going to impact their actions? Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Um, I have some mechanical stuff right here. So the DC check was 17 um, and now pretty high for a magical item. Also, when you tried to dispel, when Aggie tried to dispel it, also it's a powerful item, going to mm -hmm. be difficult to do. I tried, I tried. Yeah. Um, I can say that Val is the big bad, though. Mm. No, Brandon, <laughs> Sorry, I told spoilers. you not to. No. <laughs> um, mechanically, uh, the mob had advantage on your characters, which I don't know if wow. it's something that got expressed explicitly, and like they didn't, Salamone, the mob, and Ant Min didn't attack a lot of you directly, but like that was why I gave them advantage on the confusion role, uh, Brandon, that you did on on the group. Right. And, but Vi Val removed themselves from the situation. But if they had gotten their hands on you, they would have had advantage on those attacks and advantage on damage rolls. But that's just what it is mechanically. And the fact that it made Val, and I don't know if it, if it did anything for you, Brando, but like if it made you think about your choices in fiction, did its job. That yeah. you think they're like, maybe we shouldn't disband the mob. Maybe we need a healthy, organized crime community in Lake Town City. Yeah, I I think um, because the episode is cut so quick and it's a fight, like you might miss the thing here or there. But yeah, like those, all those details are in there. Um, Eric does explain that it's not mind control. <laughs> yeah. And um, there's a couple, at least one where you say you have advantage on a roll against me or, or Val. Yeah. Um, and I, I think kind of took the opposite approach from julia because i imagined that milo would be fighting it and so like i'm gonna try to do my thing knowing that mechanically i'll have a disadvantage of it so that was the like the mindset i was going on you know cool that's really cool and i, I think that's an, another important part about um prepping in advance or communicating with your dm like you don't get spoiled by talking about what you want to happen or like an idea you think is cool uh and you know letting the dm kind of bring it in whenever they want to and for me it was really important to say like i i get like 
icked out by mind control in fiction and it was important to me i think i said this at the beginning we were doing our characters that like this is just not a thing that i want represented in the campaign um or in the podcast so in talking to eric i'm like yeah like i i think it's like these are this is what i think i think is explicitly not mind control like you know we can talk about or you can decide kind of what the actual mechanical impact of that is but to me it's very much like influence like making somebody give consideration to an idea that they wouldn't otherwise or you know take a second look or a second you know thought about something that they had dismissed Mm -hmm. So sure. players, you can do that. Like you, you can participate in your campaign. I think if you had surprised me with that mechanic, I would be like, "What does this mean? Is this mind control?" And it would have have you know distracted me or made me uncomfortable during session. Yeah. Um, but instead, we got to you know air it out and, and make sure it was all good beforehand. I think a conversation we had was you saying things you didn't want it to be, and then me asking you, "What would Aggie think this is?" Yeah, is exactly. Like you have to like you only think about it within your own fiction, and then I will do maybe do something else about the truth of it, and you might find it later. So again, more questions you can ask your players uh, to make sure that they stay in the fiction and they can still be surprised by things they thought of. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Aggie, like many uh, Catholic families uh, of Irish descent, uh, they probably not talked about the fundamental problems that uh, keep them alienated uh, or tied closely to each other. So I, I don't think that Aggie has ever like done, you know, X-Men style evaluations of the, you know, Xavier's Academy, you know, of like what what is happening here um, and what specifically the powers are. It's more like, here is how you stay safe, Quinn, do not climb that high. Or here is how you, you know, make sure that other people don't learn about this. So I don't think she knows. It's also fun for the other players too when you guys <laughs> like do some small collapse because Julia and I didn't know anything about it. So yes, I always feel a little weird about that. It's like, oh, I'm keeping a secret from you, but then I'm going to surprise you. So it's it's ha- I'm happy about it. So I'm glad you're happy about it. Yeah, I love a good reveal. It's like a gift. It's a, yeah, it's a small wrapped present yeah. that you give me. <laughs> give us. It's a prezi no reason kind of secret. <laughs> mm, exactly. That's, fair. that's totally fair. Well, I, for one, have run out of uh, delicious um, natural sugar fruit punch. So I'm going to run back to the (gasps) kitchen and get us a little more. Okay. No. Be right back. Hey, it's Eric. I know not everyone loves the cold, but one of my favorite moments is when I finally can pull out my hat, gloves, and scarf. It feels like a real welcoming of the season. It's been unseasonably warm here in New York City where uh, if I wear a beanie, sometimes I even get a little too sweaty and I'm wearing like my not heaviest coat. But now, uh, yesterday it was so cold and I had my gloves on and I'm like, ah, I'm fighting the cold. Ah, human ingenuity is going to take over the weather. Ah. And yeah, that makes me a little worried on some level, but deep down inside, I'm like, you know what, man? Whatever, I got it. I'm out and about, it's fine. Welcome to the mid roll. I got you this scarf. It has your face on it. It's very warm. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon and the people who've joined this week. Alma, Michelle, Martian, Mari, Marissa, Stephanie, and Ross. We depend on your support to keep making this show, and we're so grateful to everyone who makes it a priority each and every month to support creators. If you want to be a part of our Patreon family, we're always looking for more people to come in. You got our Discord, you get NPC backstories, you get exclusive games that we play with our friends, and all the other stuff that we've been making for four years. So if you're able, please do and join for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash jointhepartypod. And if you haven't checked your Patreon in a while, make sure you do. Some of you, many of you, are still on the old tiers and you don't get any rewards. So switch it, please! 
I don't know if you heard, but if you're listening today or tomorrow, then you can come and join our live show. We're doing a live show. Our first live show of Campaign 2. We are doing a one-shot set in the world of Lake Town City featuring our lovely PCs February 3rd at 8 p.m. I've gotten very, very into streaming over the last few months, and I want to show you all the little dips and dupes that I've been working on. And we have uh, some pretty exciting things that we're going to share. Maybe uh, some merch, some new merch that you all have been waiting for, and maybe some exclusive merch just for the live show. Who knows? Your ticket also includes a VOD copy of the show, so if you're listening to this on, say, February 4th, you can still go back and buy the, buy the thing, or you can buy it now and then watch later. That's how VOD works. It is on demand, truly. So come on, buy your ticket today at jointhepartypod.com slash live. February 3rd, 8 p.m. or afterwards with that VOD, jointhepartypod.com slash live. Do it. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. I am something of what you would call a serial enthusiast. Uh, I follow our serial, one of the serial subreddit. Um, I listen to The Empty Bowl, the wonderful show uh, that Justin McElroy and Dan Gobert co-host, uh, all about cereal and emotion, because I really like cereal as breakfast food. I love breakfast food, but the fact that cereal is very uh, diverse and unique and uh, flexible as a food that you can eat it at, say, 8 a.m. or 2 a.m. is what I like so much about it. And Magic Spoon is going to help you if you want something that's a little healthier than your chocolate bunches of oats sugar bombs that has, like, a, a badger holding a hockey stick on the front, and his name is Chonky. Magic Spoon is a keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free cereal. It tastes real good. And each serving has 0 grams of sugar, 11 grams of protein, and 3 net grams of carbs. And you can choose between these wonderful flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. I've tried the cocoa. Incredibly good. I'm a chocolate person. This is giving me that chocolate. So go to magicspoon.com slash join the party to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code join the party at checkout to get free shipping. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product. They know it's going to be good. They know it's going to be delicious. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you're not happy for any reason, they'll refund your money. Well, actually, if you're not happy related to the cereal related things, like if you're not happy for other reasons, they can't help you. But if you're not happy with the cereal, they will refund you. No questions asked. So that's magicspoon.com slash join the party and use code join the party for free shipping. Finally, we are sponsored this week by BetterHelp, a secure online counseling service. And, you know, listen, I've said a lot of stuff about BetterHelp on these and, uh, I, listen, I'm sure that there's not going to be any... <laughs> Hello! It's me, the Bone Witch! I'm here that you haven't been using the things that I want, but I can tell you about, you know, your therapy. I can just give you bones instead. I'll roll them. Let me roll one right now. Shika, 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 shika. Oh, this bone says you have problems with your dad. How do you feel about that? Okay, see you later. Poof! Oh, oh my God, what happened? It's midnight. I started recording this at 2 p.m. What happened? Oh, God. Oh, God, I'm never messing with the Bone Witch again, but good thing I have better help, which connects me with licensed counselors through their secure app, letting you message with your therapist and schedule live or video sessions. Did anyone else see that? I got attached by a Bone Witch. She hit me with a large bone like she was Q-Bone from the Pokemon series. 
Yeah, oh, man, I need to talk about this with someone. And even and uh, what if it's not at a good time? Because now it's uh, midnight after I got attacked by the Bone Witch. I can just message my counselor at any time if you're worried about something or you think of a topic that you want to cover in your next call. Because BetterHelp wants you to find the best therapeutic match possible instead of attacking you with a giant bone and then predicting it with bone magic. Uh, it's free and easy to switch counselors if you need to, like if you get matched up with a bone witch. That would be bad. And BetterHelp is more affordable than the traditional counseling with financial aid also available. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and not by the bone witch, and we appreciate you. Enjoy the party listeners can get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash join the party. That is BetterHelp.com slash join the party for 10% off your first month. I need to go home. What? Where am I? Let's go back to the show. Guys, I'm back. And the uh, I think like the the cane sugar is super good. What about you? Oh, good. I thought it was just going to be fruit sugar. And that would have been that would have been tough. <laughs> no, it's like natural fruit juice and a lot of garnishes and a bunch of mint on top, like a mint bush. Oh, a bu- <laughs> an entire bush, a of, whole bush, bush of mint. <laughs> yes. That's how I measure my mint, too. Like, give me a fucking bush. I regret my choice of words now, and I'm going to move on to the next question uh, section, which is titled, The Internet is a Series of Questions, parentheses, media and stuff. <laughs> Eden from Sweden, great username, asks on Insta, has the Night of Mirrors drawn much attention from the media? Any news reports or fan pages made for them? Mm, okay, so this is something that we started diving into in this arc here. I think that the answer is no. This is very much like, the Batman that exists in Gotham, but not the Batman that we understand as people reading Batman comics. Like, I think that there's a fear of Batman and people don't know who he is. Uh, but there's a lot of, like, keeping it under wraps. The idea, I think, that maybe he wants to project just happens in the city. And that's how I feel about the Night of Mirrors. The Night of Mirrors just drives around, does it for for the for the... I don't want to say the love of the game, but just like does it because they're compelled to do it. Question surgeon Michelle Spurgeon uh, said that the uh, upcountry keepers are freelance, which is 100% how I view them in my head. They just have like really lucrative contracts and like have worked with the city, which which is I really like. But something that we're talking about here, and I think that you guys are exploring a little bit. Um, as the LT3 trying to figure out your social media biz is that like you do need to put yourself out there and if you don't put yourself out there it's kind of like well that's some weird shit happening in the city but what I whatever I guess I don't know speaking of which Mia Schloss on Insta asks uh, something that I have forgotten to ask you Eric how did the Night of Mirrors get those photos (laughs) you know uh, hard-boiled detective work of course obviously rubber to the road well, then maybe you can also tell us, Mia's second question, how does Bones know exactly where to see powered stuff happening? That's a great question. Well, he's a, an important NPC in this arc. So, <laughs> so, Fair enough. So, Dem- so Eric, the DM, slips him a piece of paper and told him to show up to these places. In my head, he's such like a striver that like how do ghost hunters figure out where to go? Like, do they do research? People tell them where the silo, the old asylums are, where the haunted houses are. And, like, if they're doing a tour of Lake Town City, they're going to check out the weird shit. I will say, yes, it was very serendipitous. This all happened at the same time. But it was pretty cool that, like, ten people fought each other. We're <laughs> telling like, a story. It's fine. It was. It's, it's a story. It's just a function of being protagonist because you see this story from our point of view. You don't see all the 
hundreds of places that Bone's body goes True. to on the off days. Exactly. You know? um, that is also something I'm really enjoying doing with this campaign, speaking of, Brandon, is that I'm really trying to just tell the story from your three perspective. And I love doing shit that you guys don't see and that only come up like, 10, 15, 20 episodes later. So Ooh. just so uh, that's enti- that's five thousand percent true. Tuna's gonna be the big bad, isn't yes. he? Yes, yes, <laughs> got it. A couple questions for you, Julia. Um, so Chrissy Mackle asked on Insta, "What causes do Bones's former followers donate to after Val's <laughs> apology?" <laughs> it's also important to note that Chrissy submitted this from her dog's Insta, which is Bourbon and Frankie, and they're adorable dogs. So please go follow oh. Bourbon and Frankie. Well, Val wouldn't know, but I would hope that they would maybe <laughs> donate to their local mutual aid funds, stuff like that. Maybe maybe some, some bail funds around town as well. That kind of local thing. food banks. Food banks, also good. Love it. Stock those that community was, fridges. It was solely in the moment that I was just like, I don't know any, like every sort of <laughs> like cause or charity just flew out of my head in the moment while I was writing that note. You were stressed. It was the funniest thing, though. <laughs> it would have been so funny for like but this guy who has so many Instagram followers just to throw in his story, donate to causes, and <laughs> to delete his account. <laughs> so funny. It was so funny. That was uh, honestly my favorite role of the entire season was that yeah. role. Re-listening to it and hearing you getting the net 20 and then me saying like, yeah, do whatever the fuck you want to his phone was it was such a fun moment for me. Yeah. I'm so glad that you did that. It was very good. And Yos asks, by way of follow-up, is Val worried anyone saw that Instagram post before they deleted it? Any number of the half million followers could have seen a powered Val and connected it to Volcani. Spooky stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's part of the reason why I had... Val put on the Volcani glasses like before the fight really started because at least that would obscure their identity a little bit. And it seemed like the camera work that was happening by uh, a blinded Bones body also kind of helped in their favor. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I think it's a concern that Val has. I was worried about it in the moment. I was like terrified for you. That's why Val wanted to destroy the camera and get that phone deleted immediately like that was the game plan if clark kent can get away with just putting on glasses then val can that's too. fair yeah fair and valid we got a little bit of hand waving uh superhero identities but you know it's a powered universe i will we'll see what fair, we'll see what fair happens and valid oh Sorry, I couldn't let that go that's very good <laughs> we'll see what happens i mean val rolled an at 20 so an at 20 does as it does but we'll see how it all shakes out here is one question in a section of its own titled in all caps are we living in a simulation no from max neville on insta <laughs> in the episode kilanova says this is a simulation can we truly believe this is not a simulation with this much evidence it is not a simulation it's not a simulation but that was a very funny question <laughs> it, was, it was a good joke Look, here's the deal i was more underlining the joke that brandon made yeah. and i think that some of you are not taking it the way that it is yes it was 100 percent a joke Personally, Brandon, me, the the person, thinks that the idea and the question of are we living in a simulation is so meaningless and irrelevant to society because there's no way to know. And if we, even if it was true, it doesn't affect anything anyway. Mm-hmm. That it's funny to me that people care about it. So that that was my joke. That it's a silly concept. Um, the fact that you said it to the people's river though was very funny. <laughs> 
Like, they have such weird, like, the dichotomy between them being, like, big old neo-hippies, but also technologically fluent is a hundred percent, like, that's the fucking Venn diagram circle of people who believe it's a simulation. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, it's like if Elon Musk was a a vegan. (laughs) (laughs) So if you combine Grimes and Elon Musk, you get the people's river. There it is. Yeah. Um, I also would say it is not a simulation. I wish I had thought that the entire uh, Blizzard arc was a simulation. But at this point, how much would you guys hate it if I was like, it's episode 52 and it's like, and then you guys wake up outside of the danger room. (laughs) Like, how much would you fucking hate that? That would suck. And it takes away the value of the storytelling because there's no stakes now. To everything we did, there was no stakes. Listen, we didn't make Julia anxious for two months for no reason. <laughs> yes, precisely. <laughs> exactly. I was thinking just for that beginning question, I was just like, I'm so glad that Julia can finally let go and these next episodes are good for Val. I'm like, oh no, Val's still in peril. No, just totally always in peril all the time. I've done this to myself. I know it's my fault, but still. All right, here are some game and character questions. Uh, Brandon, Hakuna Yurtatas asks, with Milo being so jumpy, how many times has he nearly used the anti-supernova balls and turned incorporeal when he hears, like, I don't know, a door slam? I mean, constant. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think it's nearly. I think he has used them on multiple occasions. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, none of them have been in public. Or, like, um, if they have been, they've been, you know, behind a wall or something. Right. But, yeah, he's a... He's a scared boy. This is what so, happens when you give someone with anxiety a power like that. Truly. All right, so let, let's do a quick scene now. I think maybe you're at Thornhill Coffee. It's like 8 in the morning. You're trying to get it before work. And um, you're like standing. Maybe you're you're sitting down and you're holding a coffee in your hand. And then um, like the espresso machine like pops or like makes a big sound. And then what, what does Milo do? Uh, he goes, ah! And then... Uh, <laughs> uh, reaches in his hand for the supernova balls and just like lightly touches them so his hand starts to go incorporeal and the coffee falls from his hand and oh, shatters God. but then he releases oh. it oh, so God. everyone just thinks he he drops coffee mm. i think you tip the baristas 100 percent every time because this happens a lot <laughs> hey there's that jumpy guy who tips really well <laughs> He tips really well because he wants, he is under the impression that if he tips really well, he's getting a better deal, you know? Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but <laughs> because he'll get a free coffee every now and again, but ultimately it just evens out anyway. Mm. Milo gets like an old espresso. He's like, do you want this? We made it two hours ago. And he's like, nice. <laughs> the yes. thing is, I remember every yes. time that's ever happened to me. That's true. That's totally true. Jenna B asks, what is your favorite spirit surge outcome slash consequence? No mm. one was specified, so everybody can, uh, can jump in here. Like that's been shown, I assume? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like I like number two. We haven't rolled a two. <laughs> I like the one where Milo lights on fire and all of his clothes burn away. That's that a was fun very one for funny. Me. Yeah. I like all of them. I don't know. Like I, I, I like the one that happens next. That's my answer. <laughs> I think if the Panther hadn't happened in episode one and that just like happened during a fight, I would scream. I think that would be so funny. <laughs> I think my favorite is the Panther as well, because that one, I think, had the most complicated uh, spellcasting involved, because it was a polymorph spell, and the, it got cast on you, but then you s- resisted it, so then it bounced to Tuna, and Tuna failed, and that's why Tuna turned into a Panther, and that's why the Panther ran around the city, and that's why people are like, there's some weird shit happening in Lake Town City. <laughs> so that one is kind of like the most 
uh, like dominoes falling. Like if we had that meme of like the small domino to the big domino, it's like <laughs> Brandon wanting a spirit surge table to anti superhero sentiment in Lake Town City. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Just for everyone who didn't hear them, uh, Eric did say Tuna uh, accidentally resisted the, the, the thing. <laughs> Tuna definitely didn't want to be a panther. Tuna's deepest desire was becoming a panther. <laughs> so <laughs> it acts as something deep inside Tuna. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. I think Brandon does think Tuna is the big bad. They are the big bad to Milo, for sure. Mm-hmm, 100%. <laughs> Locktera on Twitter asks, I know Val might have issues picking just one, but I'm curious what dishes top the lists for everyone, Dr. Mayor Morrow and January included. Just solely Italian dishes or just dishes in general? I think just dishes in general. Like, I think Aggie's a soft spot for Irish soda bread, even though it is too crumbly and she does not understand why it is a thing. You're supposed to eat it with coffee. <laughs> and it was made when there was no uh, yeast or, and little fat available in Ireland. So it's like it is a function of itself, but that's why you smother it in butter. I hate it when there's no yeast and fat in, on my island. It's such a bummer for me. <laughs> I think Milo's really into uh, chilaquiles. He likes uh, nachos for breakfast, for sure. Oh, hell yeah, dog. Nice. It's lasagna. I don't know if this... <laughs> uh, well, Des likes whatever Des eats once a day. That's nice. Des's favorite food. Yeah. Des loves Soylent. That's his favorite food. Oh, no. Des... <laughs> Um, and January, of course, loves uh, carrot-related flavors mm-hmm. in foods. Mm-hmm. Uh, carrot cake, carrot juice, just little carrot nibbins. Baked carrots. Glazed carrots. Glazed carrots, baby carrots, mm-hmm. carrot dip. Long carrots, which is the adult carrots. Rainbow the opposite carrots. of baby carrots. <laughs> carrot top pesto. Oh, my God. <laughs> love it. What is each of our ideal burrito, Giant Eggs? Would love to know. Our characters our pers- oh, or I have, I have our characters? Immediately the answer for this. <laughs> you're, you're welcome to opine on burritos if you want to, but our characters was the question. Oh, okay. Uh, burritos are, are a perfect food if we... <laughs> and there's no one answer because they are regional, but uh, if, you are, if you want a perfect burrito in Brandon land, you get rice, refried beans, some kind of cheese that is like mild, so like Chihuahua or Monterey Jack. You get something braised, whether that's barbacoa and or carnitas. I prefer carnitas. Pico, salsa verde, and queso if you want it. But also if you get chips and queso on the side, then that's fine. Mm, yeah. Yum. Val goes for whatever the abuelita who is running the place suggests and just gets extra spicy, whatever it is. That's fair. Is Val Val's the kind of person to put like ten dollars on the counter and say "fuck me up"? Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, pretty much. That's <laughs> I don't know. I feel like Aggie Aggie probably really likes mountain lobster burritos, guys. I think there is a a real Ooh. there's a real delicacy. She probably hasn't had many burritos before, um, and I think the mountain lobster is what she goes for when she goes for it. I'm or picturing it as burrito. kind of like. A lobster roll, but in burrito yeah. form. Yeah. I think that's the like that's the mm. gambit. Mm, okay, I love that. Yeah, maybe it's cold. I don't know. I could fuck up some uh, like uh, fish tacos, but with mountain lobsters. That'd, That'd be, be great. Cool. Oh my god, yeah. shrimp tacos or something like that. Oh. <laughs> um, give me a breakfast. Get, this is Eric. I want a breakfast burrito at all times. But fucking what's on it? Oh, um, sausage sausage over bacon. Um, Good. I like American or cheddar if it's gonna be a Correct. breakfast burrito. Um, and then I would go with either guac or salsa. I think that or or sour cream. I feel like too much wet 
because eggs are already kind of inherently wet if they're hot and if they're cooked well they're already kind of wet so just don't put too much wet on it but like put in as many potatoes as you can physically shove into that thing correct these are all correct choices and eric i've never been uh never felt more connected (laughs) (laughs) listen i i'm like so into texas food now like after going there officially so many like a few times now i'm like good texas barbecue check breakfast burritos check um that thing that Mike didn't thought a knish was, but a kolache. Those are fucking kolache. tight. They're also great. Like I'm totally, I'm totally there for it. You're all my friends, and you're welcome. You put some, uh, you put some like shredded barbecue beef and or um, pork in that breakfast burrito. Mm. Fuck me up. Fucking yeah. I, Pulled uh, pork and eggs yeah. is like my my thing. I'm still like such a sausage person because I never grew up eating pork. So like. The taste of pork is still strange. I would just say strange. It's still like not a comforting taste to me. I know it's delicious, but mm. I would much rather have beef. And sausage to me is the closest thing to beef because it's like uh, hearty in that way. So that's why I always get sausage, egg, and cheeses like at my bodega here. Like I'm just not, I'm like not a bacon person. I'm not a pulled pork person because like that taste and the crunch I'd rather get from something else. Like that's not what I want for my meat. I respect it. I respect it. Let us now extend our uh, opinions to pasta. Jess V eight seven seven says, "If uh, the PCs were to pick a pasta dish for their last meal, or just favorite pasta dish, I would say, what would it be? Val manicotti with a traditional red sauce, chicken piccata, one giant raviolo, and then the exact same phrasing as the previous question uh, from Lactera. Coincidentally, I know Val might have issues picking just one, but I'm curious what dishes <laughs> top the list for everyone, <laughs> as well as Dr. Miramaro in January. It is their grandma's lasagna. That's it. Yeah." Yeah. Mm, that's real. I saw a video, you know the um, egg yolk ravioli? Oh, yeah. Where you like, yeah. just put a single egg yolk in a ravioli. I saw a video, I think it was maybe about appetite, where they did it with a ostrich egg yolk. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's what Milo would want. <laughs> <laughs> so big, it's kind of disgusting. Milo's like, what if big egg? <laughs> now slaps it out of his hand. No. <laughs> I think Aggie finds Yoki magical. I was like, it's potato? Like, it surprises her every time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like Dr. Morrow's like is a pesto stan. Mm. Like she, like in 1985, she's like, I mean, I hate tomatoes. Give me something else. Adirondack ramps. <laughs> yeah, and like she makes pesto out of all types of shit. So she likes pesto on whatever. Like she'll order something, but say like instead of red sauce, make it pesto. Whatever you have. Is that because Dr. Morrow couldn't like come up with a tomato alternative or something? Is she just like? Have a grudge, forever grudge against tomatoes. Yeah, she were she she did a lot of uh, food science, and she's like, "What? But tomatoes, there's too acidic, and there's too many C's. Ugh, fine." <laughs> and then finally, a podcasting question this is from Carmen Osborne. You guys have talked about My Hero Academia a few times and listening to Aggie and Val talk about their new level features and some of the attributes of their costumes. I wondered if whether either of the players noticed the similarities to Deku and Bakugo. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Bakugo, Bakugo, yeah. Bakugo. Uh, coming to the conclusion while I was driving, I was almost literally vibrating, waiting to get home and ask. <laughs> you guys are great. Uh n- not until you pointed it out, to be quite honest. I did not know until you pointed it out. And then I was like, hey, yeah, wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> I just think that the reason why My Hero Academia works is that they really take apart and as quickly as possible use uh, archetypes, superhero archetypes, as fast and as uh, furious as possible. So like the fact that we're mirroring some of that uh, is entirely true, is that Val is, is the angry fire person and... Aggie is like a secret strange power 
that we don't really know about who has to come into their own and feels like they have a responsibility in, in that way. Um, and since they're not set up against each other, it's it's kind of interesting. Aggie cries less too. Yes, very much so. But no, I think it's it's that's actually really interesting. Uh, thank you for sending that question. And now we reach spoily corner, um, where we're starting, uh, Eric, here with a PSA. You wanted to say something? Yeah. Uh, hey, I can't tell you who the Knight of Mirrors is. I just can't. I'm sorry. Uh, I know if you you can guess it's Dez, you can guess it's Satomi, you can guess it's January. To guess all you want, I cannot tell you who the Knight of Mirrors is. I'm so sorry to tell you. I mean, we don't even know if the Knight of Mirrors has an identity we've met. Yeah. Besides the Night of Mirrors. Yeah. Exactly. You don't the Night of Mirrors might be a robot that goes be boop. Like who knows? I've seen a couple of theories out there that I agree with. So I'm excited to hopefully eventually what find out. Uh we've talked about it on the show before, but someone else I saw mentioned that they think that the Night of Mirrors might be a wheelchair user or disabled because of the fact that they didn't get off the bike, Milo, when you heated mm-hmm. the metal. Uh, and I think that would be really cool and really interesting if that ends up being the case. And I'm excited to see if we find out. Mm. I can't tell you. I know. It's say. fine. It's fine. Who I don't expect say. you to tell me. I want to be revealed in the story in the fiction. Yeah. Listen, keep guessing, y'all. But I'm just not going to tell you. I bet it's not someone we've met yet. I bet it's a new yeah. person entirely. That's my bet. I agree. Mixel91 on Insta asks, whatever happened to the giant mountain lobster? Who can Who say? Can say? Who, can, Who say? can say? Pearl Wisdom asks, Armonti said giant mountain lobster. Uh, and Champ, which is the Lake Champlain Lacta-style monster. Friends? Aww, I can I say, so. I can, yeah, definitively, I can say yep. yes. Cute. Okay. Good. Maybe they're dating. Do you think they're Do you think mm-hmm. they're dating? I don't maybe. know, Brandon. Maybe. Someone writes some AO3 uh, <laughs> fanfic Monty, <laughs> of Monty, Monty and Champ, Champ dating. Yeah, yeah. please. So enemies to lovers, slow burn, 500K. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, Eric, you say that like I haven't read fix like that before. I, I'm, <laughs> it's not a joke. It's a thing I'm saying. True. <laughs> well, Joe Minoki here has a spoily corner question just for Eric. Oh. Uh, what the fuck, man? <laughs> Truly, who can say? And uh, <laughs> hold hold on to your butts if you say what the fuck now. At the end of the last episode that we recorded, I asked that same exact question. I literally Eric. screamed at Eric at the last recording that we did. I screamed, how dare you? That was episode 27. You hold lied on to, to your butts, us. people. Yep. That's true. I'm a liar. I'm a bad boy. And uh, who can say why? <laughs> Violet Weasley asks, is Tuna changing ever since they got caught and rescued? Milo picked them up in this episode and Tuna, quote, felt different. Could this be Tuna moving on or coming back to life? Who can say? Who can say? Who can say, Who can say? but I, I hope it's not Tuna moving on because I would be very sad. Brandon would be. Milo. <laughs> no, Milo would also be very Look, Milo okay. and Tuna have a contentious relationship, but they love <laughs> each other. Well, I don't know about Tuna, but Milo loves Tuna. <laughs> and we are closing here with a spoily corner within a spoily corner. So if you don't want to be spoiled, dear listener, for Kiki's delivery service, please skip forward 30 seconds. <laughs> If Eric pulls some Kiki's delivery service, losing your connection with your special cat stuff, I'm going to lose it. I'm sorry, Sid. Who can say? Who can say? (laughs) Who can say? I have no idea what any of those words meant. (laughs) Who can say? Who can say? Brandon, go watch Kiki's delivery service. It's really good. It's on HBO Max. It's a a Miyazaki film where a small child becomes a a delivery person. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. We yeah, had it on VHS as a kid, and it, it had it had strong queer vibes, which I appreciate. It's mm. incredible. It's one of the best uh, Miyazaki films. 
So welcome back, uh, Kiki's Delivery Service Spoily Avoidies. Uh, you should go ahead and watch it. It's, it's really <laughs> fun. But uh, that brings us to the end of this after party. Well, I want to ask all three of you, we're kind of in a contentious place here, and we've played a few episodes ahead. So, like, looking back at this, how do you all feel? Like, what do you think What do you think is going to happen next? Like, what's up? Uh, our problems used to be so small. That's what I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> still so nervous. Still full of anxiety. It's extremely exciting. I love it so much. I'm very happy. Honestly, I think that I'm really proud of the stuff that we've done on this arc. And, and then going into the next one, it's it's all we're going to keep going. So thank you, everybody, for hanging out and for being nice and for listening. And everyone, come to our live show, which is coming out, which is tomorrow. Yeah, come watch Do us. It. It's going to be fun. We're doing a one shot that's about th- things that happened before joining the channel. So Val's only like moderately worried and not extremely worried. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm gonna cosplay like Milo some somehow. Oh yeah, me too. Which means I'm probably just gonna dress normally. <laughs> so you're gonna so Milo's gonna wear his right reg- Brandon's gonna wear his regular clothes and Val's gonna find a leather jacket and put it on. It's like I need to find a leather jacket. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Val has geocached them all over the city in case they ever need one. And hey, if it's the future, you can still go to jointhepartypod.com slash live and buy a copy of the recording of the show. That way you can enjoy it as well. But uh, thank you, everybody, who's going to attend. And we really look forward to doing it. Oh, there's one last thing I remember I didn't include. Um, You all finding the different items was totally random. I actually made a table for that. Oh, really? And that's something that we weren't able to do. Here's the thing. I want to clarify something. Because Aggie rolled a nat 20, I said, Milo, don't worry about it. It's fine because Milo didn't have to interact with the items, but I was going to give you two items on a nat 20. But then whatever you guys end up doing with the mushroom test tubes, like I was like, hey, my, maybe he'll, they'll give it to Milo and that will be Milo's item. And you guys didn't do that. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why. <laughs> so I just want to clarify. That's what I was saying. But yes, those were totally random. I had a whole I had a whole like a D10 uh, table for them. So that's why you got the the Ducci suit, the Michael Jorbins and the stuff that was in the uh, in the test tube. I um Shortened it a bunch, but the most painful thing to ever happen to me in D&D so far is me realizing that Eric was trying to politely nudge me to take an item, and I was like, no, I don't, need, I don't need to look at it. I, I, I asked good. you, I asked I'm you, tired. hey, Brandon, do you want to look through? And he was like, no, Milo would have gone by then. I'm and I'm sleepy. like, And I'm like, okay. <laughs> there goes your free item, bud. All right. <laughs> I know. I know. All right. Well, that that brings us to the end. Yes, there are still five minutes left in this episode. Uh, it's It's all about stunks. Um, but in the meantime, guys, may your roles trend ever upward. Bye. Bye, Bye guys. Come to our live What's show. A stonk? Come. <laughs> a stonk is what Twitter is calling stocks. Yes. All right, so here's what happened. We, I 
had heard about the GameStop thing. It was already cresting at that point. The stock price was already at 250 And I'm like, all right, that's probably done. Uh, I poked around in there, and they were making a bunch of, like, oblique references to going to the movies. So there, I dug, dug around, and the next thing they were doing was AMC. This was thir- This was two nights ago at, like, midnight. Mm-hmm. AMC was at $8. I'm like, great. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy, like, $100 worth of stock, whatever, yeah, I, I, I'm putting a hundred dollars up. Whatever. I assume that it's going through Robinhood, which is the easiest, easiest and fastest way. And I'm putting quotes around it because it's easiest and fastest. I said, Eric, if you're gonna do this, let me just buy it on Vanguard. Like I have a brokerage account. Like I'll just do it. <laughs> well, like, I didn't no. want you to put yourself involved in it because it was this dumb <laughs> shit, right? I put it in. I thought, okay, I'm gonna buy a hundred dollars worth of stock. It's at $8, so I and it was after hours, I knew. So I'm like, oh, the call goes in at $8, whatever. I wake up, and it's, I wake up, and the AMC's at 18. And I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. I made a financial decision. <laughs> I look at it, and Robin Hood's like, oh, actually, we're buying this at 9.30. And I'm like, what? Why? When the that's market opens, that's how it works. Which is bullshit. But I'm like, okay, fine. I guess that that's fine, and you'll buy it, right? 9.30 rolls around. I check it. It's still at 18. I assume it's going to go up. They cancel my, they cancel my buys. And I'm like, why? And they're like, mm, too volatile. Sorry. I'm like, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were my fucking mom telling me to invest in Apple instead. You can't so I'm like, fuck. name yourself Robin Hood and then pull shit like that. Exactly. So then I'm like, fuck you. All right, fine. I guess I'm going to have to buy things again. And it's going to have to buy it at 18. And I assume it's going to go up. I put in $100 at, two, at 10 a.m. And then they canceled it. And I'm yeah. like, just fuck you guys. I guess I'm not doing this. I checked it. AMC is up th- was up 300% yesterday. Ugh. And I'm just like, oh, so the thing that I knew, yeah, great. Because apparently I'm, I'm a small person and I have to be a giant financial institution in order to participate in this incredibly stupid fucking betting game we call the stock market. Literally, my mom has been telling me about this since I was seven, making my dad uncomfortable in front of her. And then they got divorced and I still fought that while my brother <laughs> now works at a guy goddamn hedge fund so it's just like what the fuck are we doing who who is more prepared to do this other than me and amanda and they won't even let me do it they won't even let me do it i tried i tried for you honey it's bull- i know i didn't want you to get involved great post credits rant <laughs> fucking bullshit would anyone like a D metaphor for what's happening with the stock market right now uh yes, are we course. are we putting this at the beginning of the episode or the end of the episode just so i know fine. We can pull it at the end, yeah. Yeah, all right, cool. But I'm just saying, do anyone like one? I do, because the shorting still doesn't really make sense to me. Okay, so this is what happens. So there's like a bunch of adventurers that are hanging out in an inn, and they're all like available to you know to rent for your adventure, right? Hire. That's the word you use for people. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, And some jerk, some drunk in the back of the bar is like, you fucking know what? These adventurers. There's so many of them. They're so bad at their jobs. They are going to have to charge less and less and less to get hired. I bet the price is just going to keep going down. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sell some tourist the right to hire those adventurers next week for like five gold. Like, I just know it. There's, it's going to go down so far. And he hadn't actually reserved the adventurers yet. He's just selling someone else the contract and signing a contract and saying, like, yeah, give me a little money now. I'll give you the right to buy these guys at five gold. And he's betting that the price is going to be like two gold. So he will, the person will never use the contract because they can just buy them cheaper. And he'll just make that little bit of money that he made on signing the contract. Next week rolls around. Uh, and so in, in the meantime, adventurers are like, hey, I've, I've 
that fucking hurt that uh that someone is uh is betting against us and that's fucking <laughs> rude and i fucking hate that and so a bunch of townspeople and the adventurers are like you know what we're just gonna like let's just hire each other and like not do anything like let's just hire each other and just sit here and drink and we're gonna hire each other and because so many people want to hire you you can raise your price and the price is gonna go up and up and up and so by the time next week rolls around it costs like 50 gold to hire an adventurer for the day and so the guy in the back corner is like fuck because now if you signed a piece of paper saying I can buy an adventure for five gold, of course you will, because the price is now <laughs> so much higher. But because the drunk in the corner is a terrible person and runs a hedge fund, he doesn't own <laughs> he doesn't own he didn't buy him yet. So he has to go to the adventurers, book them for fifty gold, and then turn around and sell them for five gold to somebody else. So instead of making a little bit of money on an empty contract no one's ever going to use because we make up financial instruments to sell to each other to just make money on the stock market, he loses 45 gold per adventurer. Only he did this for like millions and millions and millions of them. Good. Good. He yeah. should lose and that then, money. And then the owner, the, the town mayor or whatever is like, um, I think you guys did fraud. And then all the townspeople <laughs> are like, um, actually, we're just all hiring each other and we're like, we're not doing anything wrong and go fuck yourself. And then a bunch of them go to the neighboring town and do it again. And then the camera pans out and the inn is called Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> are some of those townspeople jerks? Absolutely. Some of them support Trump. Probably. But is this is the whole fucking uh, system of financial instruments that allow people to make money for literally no value and exclude retail investors from the market and and trick you into thinking that you have to pay somebody else to buy and trade things for you. And in fact, you just put your money in a fucking savings account. Is that corrupt? Yeah. Yeah. That was actually really good. Good job. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Fantasy stocks. Fantasy stocks. It's all made up, so there might be a dragon. Uh Uh-oh, I smell a season three. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I smell a new podcast called Fantasy Stocks.